Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word, Lord, and we pray now that you would guide us and lead us by the simple teaching of your word. So have your way with us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We started 1 Timothy last week. We mentioned that uh, 1 and 2 Timothy, well, really 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus are known as the pastoral epistles. These are the books that uh, the Apostle Paul uh, is sending to young Timothy and Titus, really sort of how to do church. We referenced last week uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, Paul said, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so the church is really God's primary instrument to uh, administer truth to the body of Christ. And so we do that by reading the word, by uh, teaching it as best as we know how. And uh, it's, it's sweetly foundational to us. So we read last week that Paul instructed Timothy to stay in Ephesus. Timothy is the pastor of this church in Ephesus. We talked about that uh, a little bit last week. Paul encouraged Timothy to stay in Ephesus and to charge others to teach doctrine that edifies the church with love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And now he's going to move into some specifics, okay? So he's going to start, sort of the rubber meets the road a little bit today. Is that fair? Now, as we, um, even as I say that, can I remind you of the words of Jesus? You remember when John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus and they said, uh, hey, are you the one or is there somebody else uh, that we should look for? And they were a little bit discouraged. And Jesus said, you, you may recall uh, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you hear which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he, so he tells John, basically, go back and tell John, yeah, I'm the Messiah. These are the things that are evidences of that. But then he has this little tagline on the end of that. He said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me which is kind of interesting to me. And so, could it be that the Scripture is at times offensive if we let it be? But who wrote the Scripture? God did, right? And so, um, why do I say that? Because we're in 1 Timothy chapter 2, <laughs> and by God's grace, it was a snowy day, so um, most of you are gone. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, the, you know, the, I, w I was thinking back. The last time, because as you know, we, go through, we have a habit of going through the Scripture, right? And we're cycling a little bit. This is the second time that, that I've taught First Timothy chapter 2. And uh, the last time was, by God's grace, July 4th weekend. And most people were out that weekend. So um, next time uh, we get through it, just check me on this, okay? We'll get back around to First Timothy chapter 2 and, I don't know, however many years. Watch this. It'll be a snow day or something like that. So anyway, uh, thank you, Lord. Uh, but anyway, why do I say that? Check this out. If you are one that might be prone towards uh, political zeal, anybody prone toward, don't raise your hand, prone towards political zeal in our day and age, you might be offended by First Timothy chapter 2. If you are someone who um, kind of leans toward the sovereignty end of the sovereignty responsibility spectrum that we've talked about, you might be offended by 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you are one with a uh, Catholic background, you might be offended by 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you are a woman, you might be offended by 1 Timothy chapter 2. All right? Everybody covered? Did I cover everybody? Yeah. Pretty much everybody, we, we got us, we're all in the same playing field, right? Now, why do I say all that? Because, you know, Tracy and I are reading through this book right now. Um, 
Nate read it. He said, oh, you got to read this book. And uh, so we're reading this book. And, and, um, and I haven't got through it all the way, but I think I'm going to love this book, and I think it's going to wind up on the back table. But anyway, I haven't, that's my, haven't got all the way through it yet, but I think it's going to wind up on the back table for everybody. It's really a book about abiding in Christ is kind of the way I see it. And it's precious. And one of the things in this book that Tracy was telling me, because she's farther ahead of it than I am, of course, um, she said, he says that so often we don't realize the extent to which we read the Bible from our doctrinal presuppositions. Is that a true statement or what? That's a true statement. Because the Bible teaches uh, so many different things that what we tend to do, especially, you know, I mean, as I've said, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm, you know, we read the Bible kind of cover to cover. And as we read the Bible cover to cover, sometimes as we're, sometimes we can kind of be moving along kind of swiftly, if you will, and we latch on to the piece that we like, kind of like walking through a smorgasbord, right? You ever been to the, to the, to the buffet at the, at the inn, right? Or a buffet on a pitch-in. What, what's a smart person do out here at a pitch-in? Goes to the right of the, it goes to the right of the line. The end of the, the, you know, you got a, you got some, you got chicken, right? And then you got some like various salads, and then you got a bunch of things in crock pots with various vegetables, whatever. And then you got um, a dessert table. Yeah, then you got a dessert table that goes about like this, right? So a smart pitch-in guy, grabs his chicken, and kind of does an end around, and catches the dessert table, right? That's sometimes how we read scripture. And I'm as guilty as anybody. Is that fair? So I'm going to try to unoffendify this as much as I can, but I also want to stay true to the scripture. And I think it's important that we always, as much as possible, stay true to the scripture. Is that fair? You're all kind of like, you're either like nervous or you're like, bring it on. There's two kinds of people, right? Some of you are, bring it on. Let's get into the juicy stuff. And some of you are a little nervous on behalf of me. But it's okay because I'm left-handed. <laughs> Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. First of all, I like that. First of all. First of all, what do we do? We pray. We pray. Do we pray now I lay me down to sleep? Well, if you're a kid, you want to do that? That's, if you're an adult, you want to do that? Yes. Do we pray, Lord, I'd really like to have this and this and this and this? Yeah, to some extent. But we pray, first of all, Supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for who? All men. And guess what? In the context of all men, and the context here is all men and women, all people. Okay. In the context of all people on planet Earth today, Scott Murphy happens to be one of them. Not the only one, but one of them. You get that? What are we supposed to be really as Christians? We're supposed to be others focused. We're supposed to be others focused. We're supposed to be God focused and others focused. First and foremost. How easy is that for all of us, if we're honest? Whose problem in the room is, we all have problems. Whose problem is the biggest? Mine. Right? And we would all tend to say, mine. And that's just something that we need to kind of work through. Now, I'm aware of some, and, and honestly, I can honestly say some problems are huge. Some problems are temporary. Some problems seem permanent. Some problems seem overwhelming. And I get all of that, right? And uh, it's okay to pray for your problem. 
But also, don't forget to pray for all men. And pray whatever is needed. Supplications, prayers, intercession, giving of thanks for all men. And I like how he even uh, extends this now um, uh, for the sake of the political uh, zealots. He says, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Let me read that again. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Now, let me kind of put this in perspective, in context. Nero was king at this time. Paul's talking about Nero and anybody else who's in authority. All right? So remove our, so set that, just set that to the side in your brain for a second. We live in 2023, right, in America. Okay? Let's say, I'll go out on a limb. Let's say you're a conservative. And let's say you didn't vote for our current president, who is leftward of conservative. Do you pray for him as much as you complain about him? I said to myself. I'm just driving down the road thinking about this this morning. And I'm like, you know, I think I'm probably busted on that one. If you're on the liberal side, then you probably didn't like the previous president. And I would ask the same question. Do you pray for him as much as you complain about him? There's plenty of opportunities in our national leadership to find people that we'd like to complain about, regardless of our affiliation, right? Paul says to pray supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks for all men, including all kings and all, for kings and all who are in authority. All who are in authority. That means all of those folks. That means the authority at work. That means the authority at home. That means the authority in the church. That means the authority that bugs you. We pray for those folks. And notice the heart of this. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Can I tell you what I've learned over the years, sometimes the hard way? There is a quiet godliness and a quiet reverence that speaks way louder than the most obnoxious vocalization that you could utter. Does that make sense? Proverbs speaks about this a lot, right? That the guy who doesn't talk too much, pay attention to him. And sometimes, because we are Christians, Christians by nature tend to be people of great conviction. And people of great conviction tend to want to express that conviction because the imperfections of the world would be made right if your convictions would simply agree with mine. Is that how we think? Sometimes? And maybe... God can work that person's heart how he wants to. And my job is to not, sh- not shy back from my convictions, to be fair. Not shy back from my convictions, but that I may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. That is a lofty goal for each of us that we should strive to attain. That is a lofty goal that we should strive to attain and not... Without compromise, that does not mean we're compromising on our convictions. And again, I mentioned this last week, and it's kind, of, it's kind of been brewing in my head a little bit. The warfare that's described in Ephesians chapter 6, the position of warfare is what? Stand. Not attack, not assault, not destroy. It's stand. And let God do the work. God's capable of doing the work. And so... We should be prayerful for those folks. We should be prayerful to all men, as he says. 
For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. By the way, who are we trying to please? God our Savior. So let's do what's good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, right? Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, this is underlined in my Bible. And I think this is a very, very, very doctrinally foundational verse. So I'm going to dissect it for a little bit. Is that fair? Now, if you are a seasoned person here, we talked two weeks ago, there are new people and there are seasoned people, okay? If you're a seasoned person, you know, you know exactly where I'm going. Raise your hand if you know where I'm going with this. Okay. You all can go to sleep. I'll tell you when to wake up, okay? For the sake of the new people and for those who like repetition, I want to not lose the significance of this for the repetition, but... God is sovereign. The Bible teaches that. What does that mean? It means God's in control. It means God knows everything. It means God's in control of history. God's in control of my life. God's in control of circumstances. God's in control of the, of the seasons, the weather, everything. God is in control. Is that a biblical truth? Yes, it is. There's also this thing that we refer to as man's responsibility. Galatians tells us, whatever man sows, he'll reap. If he sows to the flesh, he'll reap corruption. If he sows to the spirit, he'll reap everlasting life. Man is responsible for his actions. Is that a biblical truth? Yes. Theologically, these seem contradictory. Why do they seem contradictory? Because we're talking about an aspect of God that we're trying to understand with human brains. So all we have is the Scripture, right? And so I think of it like this. I think of it like a spectrum, right, seasoned people. I think of it like a spectrum, right? Some people are a little more wired towards responsibility. Some people are a little more wired towards sovereignty. And here's the great, wherever you're at on this, here's the great um, tragedy. This, to me, this is one of the greatest tragedies of the modern-day church. And that is... Wherever I'm at on this spectrum, I expect everybody else to be there. There is no place for that in the body of Christ, right? First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, right? Some people are hands, some people are feet, some people are eyes, some people are ears, right? It is what it is. But I think there's a range there that in, in my own home, I can tell you, not everybody's on the same spot on that spectrum. And it does play out in life. And if we understand it, I think it helps us give one another a little bit of grace. And it helps us to live in harmony a little bit better. And as the body of Christ, it most certainly helps us to live in grace and give one another grace and give one another enough grace that we live in harmony with one another. Is that fair? And so some people, you might be a little more, yeah, God will work it out. And some people are a little more like, man, we need to take action, right? There's nothing wrong with either of those. Here's what I would say. I think of them as kind of a spectrum on a cliff, right? It is possible to fall off the cliff on either side, okay? To fall off the cliff on on the responsibility side, simply put, is God needs my help. Does God need my help? Not at all. God can function just fine without me. Probably could probably do better without me right? God does not need my help to accomplish his purposes. And so, you know, for all those things that I think are wrong with the world that need to be made right, God doesn't need my help to do them. He might give me the privilege and the opportunity to participate in his work, but I need to keep in mind that it's his work. God does not need my help. That's the cliff off of the responsibility side. Is that fair? There's also a cliff on the sovereignty side, and that is God is so sovereign He made some for hell, some for heaven. Too bad, so sad for the ones that are going to hell. That's a cliff. That's an unbiblical cliff. But that's the logical conclusion sometimes if we are, I'm going to say, hyper-sovereignty people. Is that fair? And so what you have is this spectrum, a cliff on this side, a cliff on this side. 
But God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I think of this verse as sort of a guardrail off of that cliff. Is that fair? And I think it's critical that we get that because you will encounter, you will encounter in your Christian life, in your Christian journeys, people who, frankly, are off the cliff on the sovereignty side and on the responsibility side. It's a little, yeah, they're on both sides, okay? This burdens me. I have seen the damage done by people off the cliff on the hyper-sovereignty side. I've seen damage done, and the damage is not pretty. What's John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that what? Just the elect? Whosoever. What does whosoever mean? It's a Greek word that means whosoever. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever. John 3.16. John 12.32. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, and the commentary tells us that he's referring to his crucifixion. If I am lifted up, I will draw the elect to myself. Does he say that? Better look it up. If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. All people, right? Jesus died for everyone. And one of the foundational doctrinal pieces, and again, I don't want to break it down, I don't want to be too critical, but I want to just call it out. One of the foundational doctrinal pieces is a thing called limited atonement to to people that are, I believe, off the edge on the sovereignty side. Limited atonement means that Jesus died for just a few. That's contrary to Jesus' own words. If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. I'm a little passionate about this. Can you tell? Okay. I'm a little passionate about this. Because here's why. When you kind of say, yeah, some were made for heaven, some were made for hell, some cookies are made to be burned. Too bad, so sad for them. That fundamentally contradicts the heart of God. Fundamentally, at the most basic core, contradicts the loving goodness of God. And that gets me fired up. So I'm fired up. I'm not fighting, I'm standing. But it gets me fired up. And I've seen damage done. I've seen tons of damage done. I've seen relationships damaged. I've seen churches shattered to the core over this issue, over a a bit of an attitude that, hey, God's so sovereign. It is what it is. That's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of God. The problem with hyper-sovereignty theology, it misrepresents the loving heart of God. And what did we read last week in chapter 1, verse 4? Causes disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. We want godly edification. We want the church to be a body. If you're a little more sovereignty than me on the spectrum, that's fine. Don't fall off the cliff. If you're a little more responsibility than me on the spectrum, that's fine. But remember, God doesn't need your help. Is that fair? And if you're a little more responsible, a little more one way or the other, or if I'm a little more one way or the other, guess what? We are, because there's really probably an infinite number of spots on that spectrum. And we're all, because we're all human beings, we're all at some point on that spectrum. Let's give one another grace, right? But let's just be warned of the extremes on either end. Is that fair? God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. If you're ever in a discussion with somebody who's hyper-sovereignty, please read them that verse. And if they, want a, if they want a confirmatory verse, because people always say, well, you need at least two times for it to be you know, doctrinally sound, 2 Peter 3, 9 says the same thing. 2 Peter 3, 9 says the same thing. And if you like a memorization trick, Nate likes to tease me for my memorization tricks. Is that fair? 1 Timothy chapter 2, what's 2 squared? 
4. 1 Peter chapter 3, what's 3 squared? 9. 1 Timothy chapter, did I say 1 Timothy, 1 Peter? 2 Peter. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. Those are your go-to verses. Those are your guardrails on the sovereignty spectrum. So, verse 5. So we've made it through. We haven't, we've, you know, only offended a couple people so far. Is that all right? Okay. So let's keep going because I'm sure there are more that we could. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And so, you know, it's as if to say God desires all men to come to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth because there's just one God. And you're not him. Right? So we don't need to really, I mean, we can, we can just live in God's sovereignty. We can live in our responsibility. And we can let God be God because there's just one God and I'm not him. Praise the Lord. Because I don't want to be him. Right? I don't want the responsibility. There's one God. Now also I have to just point this out because it's here. There's one mediator between God and men. The man, Jesus Christ. As graciously and as gently and as compassionately as I can say it, Mary is not a mediator between God and man. There's one God and there's one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And I love this. This kind of, you know, on the heels of kind of where we're going with this. This is both. Paul was appointed a preacher and an apostle. Who is he appointed a preacher and apostle by? God. God. That's God's sovereignty, right? And yet he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. What's that? That's Paul's responsibility. And so he's walking out both these. And if, you, and if we really embrace both of these rather than try to argue over them if we embrace both sides of this then we recognize god is god god is greater god who is in me is greater than he who is in the world right in the person of the holy spirit i'm responsible i can carry out my duties i can carry out my responsibilities i can carry out my opportunities to serve him knowing that he's really the one that's driving the ship and i can I can do it without all the pressure of knowing that it's dependent upon me, and yet it allows me to walk through the challenges of life. It's really a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture of how God works in, in our lives. Then he goes on. He says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere. So again, kind of affirming what he said in, in verse 1. I desire, therefore, that men, that the men pray everywhere. Now he's making a distinction between men and women. That the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Without wrath and doubting. And so uh, men need to be men of prayer. Men need to lift up holy hands. You know, the, the Psalms speak of a, a clean hands and a pure heart, right? Holy hands means we, we pray with sincerity, with pure motives, without wrath, without doubting. In like manner, also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. Here we go. All right? Is it hot in here? So, you know, there's a thing in the church where people can draw attention to themselves. Is that fair? It's possible for a person to draw attention to themselves. It's possible for men and women to draw attention to themselves. What Paul is speaking here specifically is that women have the capacity, oftentimes, to draw attention to themselves in a wrong sort of a way. Is that fair? And he's just saying, and, you know, truthfully, I, won't, I don't want to go too deep into this, but the reality is that women in, our cult in that culture and in ours have the capacity to draw attention to themselves that 
is unhealthy. And in the body of Christ, attention should be focused on God, right? But women in that culture had the capacity to draw attention to themselves. Uh, and in that culture, it would have been, uh, you know, without propriety and moderation, braided hair, gold, pearls, costly clothing, all that. If somebody walked in like that, uh, you know, everybody'd say, "Whoa." And what Paul's saying here is, let's not do that. It's not doesn't mean we should be slobs, right? Ladies, it's okay to not be slob. <laughs> it's getting real hot in here. Uh, it's okay to not be a slob, right? But it's also okay, it's also healthy not to try to manipulate that. Is that fair? Let's not manipulate attention that should be directed towards God. And that applies to anything, honestly, right? I mean, I've talked, if I stand up here and try to, uh, you know, this is kind of a delicate thing, what I do here, right? Because I want to communicate the Word of God in a way that's effective and engaging and all that. I'm just being honest, right? But I also want to give respect and honor to the fact that it's the Word of God, right? So, the engaging and, and effective part, right? If I'm not careful, I could just, you know, you could walk out of here and say, wow, that guy is hilarious. He's got great stories. And I think he read some scripture, right? These guys up here that, do, that lead us in worship, right? What's their job? Their job is to what? Lead us in worship, right? If we walk out of here saying, that band was amazing, We've completely missed it. And if they do that which causes us to say, that band was amazing, then, you know, this is a balance that we have to, to strike, right? And we talk about this all the time. This is a balance that we always have to strike. If a woman comes into the church and we say, whoa, just do what you can to cool that down. But, verse 10, this, it gets worse. I'm just going to tell you this. It gets worse. But, which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. This is, an, this is a sweet principle in Scripture. There's a beauty that a woman can display that far surpasses her physical beauty. I want, ladies, I want you to capture this, because we'll just be honest. This is a, this is a visually charged up world, with a, and, and Satan has uh, capitalized on the human flesh. That's just a straight up, honest truth. And the, again, we, we operate from a biblical worldview, and the and the biblical perspective is that there is a beauty that far surpasses the physical beauty, specifically of a woman. And it's godliness and good works. Turn over to the right, past Hebrews and James. First Peter, chapter 3. Peter's talking about um, husbands and wives in chapter 3. And he starts out with the wives. He says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, that they, without a word, again, remember I said sometimes we can speak more loudly without talking, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. He says merely, so it's okay to be outward, but not merely outward. Arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with an incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. You catch that? There's a beauty that a woman can possess that Peter describes as incorruptible. It does not fade away. It does not age. 
And it's the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And what is that, by the way? Very precious in the sight of God. You got to love that. And it's so precious and it's so beautiful that it's capable, at least in some cases, to win over an unbelieving husband. That's powerful. That's powerful. So, women, be aware of that. There's a beauty that surpasses the beauty that Hollywood tells us we should strive for. And it's the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. It's a beauty which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. And he goes on, he says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Now, what's the best interpreter of Scripture? Scripture. So we use Scripture as the commentary on the Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we won't go there. Paul is giving instructions to the women in the Corinthian church about public prayer. So Paul's not saying that women need to be 100% silent in the church. What he's saying is they should be teachable. They should uh, respect the authority, the structure, all of that, uh, and be submitted to their husbands and to the authorities in the church. Doesn't mean they need to be silent for the sake of silence in the context. The point is that he's encouraging them to have a teachable attitude. Verse 12, And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Again, he's not talking about absolute silence. He's talking about not sort of pushing uh, the envelope, if you will. And so this one's a tough one. I'll admit this. This is a tough verse. I will say this. Remember we don't understand fully God's sovereignty, God's man and man's responsibility, how those fit together? We also don't understand the why of everything in the Scripture. Is that fair? Parents, you have young kids, right? By the way, if you could measure the distance between your understanding and your three-year-old kid's understanding, let's say it's 12 inches, okay? The difference between God's understanding and my understanding, is it more or less than that same 12 inches? Infinitely more, right? So it stands to reason, if there are some times when my kids, when I need to tell my kids, particularly young kids, okay, we don't do this, we do do this, and they might say why, they, may, they could say why all day long and not quite get the big picture. Is that reasonable? So would it stand to reason that God might say some things and we may never understand the why? Does that stand to reason? Does that mean we should discount it? Well, that doesn't apply to me because in my great understanding, I don't understand why. That's man driving his own ship. And so as a church, we have male leadership because the scripture says so. Because I think men are smarter than women? No. No. In actuality, I get in trouble. Man, I get in trouble all day long here. But, you know, in many cases, women are way more spiritual than men. Women are way more insightful than men. My wife, many times I feel like has amazing insight that I don't have. She has a a diligence that I don't have. She has an abiding with the Lord that I don't want to say I don't have. I think we, you know, hopefully we both do. But I don't consider her in any way, shape, or form spiritually inferior to me, right? That'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. And so I don't know why he does this, but he does. And so this is what, uh, what we say. So in this church, we have male leadership. We don't have women teaching men, and we don't have women in authority positions over a man. So does this mean women are inferior to men? Not at all. Again, we won't go to it, but 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about authority structures. And he says, just like God the Father is an authority over God the Son, so the man is the authority over the woman. Catch that. Catch what I just said. Just like God the Father is an authority over God the Son. He says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In the same way, a man has authority over a woman. God the Father, God the Son. Is God the Son inferior? No. God the Son is God. He is in no way inferior. It's the role, it's the authority structure that they carry. And so, in the same way, the man has an authority structure. We're not talking about superiority or inferiority no no more than we're talking about God the Father and God the Son. It's It's the parallel. And Paul gives us that parallel, I believe, for this reason. So we can say, as we adhere to the Scripture in terms of authority structures, that does not mean we're talking about superiority or inferiority. And so uh, I think it's clear that he makes that point. So we may not understand it, but it's what we do. Now, there have been lots of great theories proposed as to why God ordered things this way, right? My wife and I have a theory on this. We think it's men are too stubborn to listen to women. Is that fair? Is that believable, by the way? Raise your hand. Raise your hand half the room. Is that believable? Yeah, you think it probably is. We, call, we even have a name for it in our family. I'll tell you this great story because it's a fun little story. We call it the Joe Brown principle. Okay? Joe Brown is a man, now he's with the Lord. Back when we lived in Indianapolis, Joe was, a, was an older guy, very wise, um, just... You know, there's some guys, you, they walk in the room, it's like you want to hear what they have to say, right? Joe, and he didn't, it's not like he was obnoxious, and he was kind of one of these, um, he just did it kind of a guy. But we were living in, we were moving from house A to house B in Indianapolis in those days. And house B needed some remodeling, right? Like lots of dust kind of remodeling, right? Like busting out some walls kind of remodeling, Right? Ladies, you know where I'm going with this? Men, you know where I'm going with this? You might. House A, we hadn't sold yet. But we knew that we were supposed to move into house B. Men? Sometimes men were... I I don't want to be too sexist here, but in our family, I kind of... In my mind, all the financial stuff is in my head, right? The financial weight is kind of in my head a little bit. I don't like making two mortgage payments. Raise your hand if you like making two mortgage payments. That'd be fun, right? I don't like making two mortgage payments. So in my mind, I had this great plan. We move out of house A, get it rented, that covers that mortgage payment, and we just, we just bust out the walls while we're living there. Ladies, what do you think? Good idea, bad idea? With little kids. <laughs> I wasn't going to include that part. See, there's her wisdom, right? Oh, by the way, with, uh, at the time, four, getting ready to adopt a fifth, uh, little kids, ages nine on down, all right? Now, is that idea any better? She just had that as a qualifier. That made the idea better or worse? Worse, right? And she's like, I'm trying to be a good sport, but I just, I'm not seeing it. And I'm like... I'm trying to be a good sport, but I'm talking about two mortgage payments, and I'm not seeing that, and I'm not seeing this, and I'm not seeing that. We walk into church one day, and this has been going on for weeks, this whole dialogue. Kind of, kind of a fun little dialogue. And um, we walk into church, and there's Joe Brown. And he kind of knew a little bit about this. He said, hey, you got moved into your new house yet? No, it still needs some remodeling. I'll tell you what, Joe said. The last thing on earth you want to do is be living in a house while you're remodeling it. You know what I said? Oh. <laughs> I kid you not. I'm like, really? I never thought of that. <laughs> and she's, she's standing right here. And she's like, Right? Could it be that God had some wisdom, right, that men learn from men, right? I think it's, 
it's at least a plausible hypothesis. All right? Joe Brown. There you go. Hear me talk about the Joe Brown. That's the Joe Brown. And we lived in happily ever after from that point on in our undusty house and two mortgages. So anyway, as another neighbor of mine at the time said, he said, you know, I've learned something about marriage. He said, sometimes you lose some, sometimes you lose some more. That's not necessarily biblical truth, by the way. <laughs> he goes on, he says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And this is interesting, just historically. Adam was the authority figure in the garden. As a matter of fact, again, I talked about last week, authority is not so much who's the boss, but who's responsible, right? Adam was given responsibility in the garden. By the way, God told Adam, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said that to Adam before Eve was even created. So when Adam is there all by himself, God told Adam, not Eve, God told Adam, don't eat from that tree. Okay? So Adam bore that responsibility. So he says, Adam was formed first, then Eve. God, uh, Paul's given us the order. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So, again, we don't fully understand this because in our minds, Eve saw the fruit. She told Satan that, you know, we're not supposed to eat it or even touch it. And she ate it anyway. But she was deceived. So Paul gives, that, gives Eve a little bit of grace here. He said, when she ate, she was deceived. But when Adam ate, he willfully violated the word of God willfully violated the Word of God. So much so that Romans chapter 5 tells us this. We talked about this uh, last Wednesday. Romans chapter 5 tells us that sin entered the world through one man, Adam. And he goes on to say that just as sin entered the world through one man, so salvation enters the world through one man, Jesus Christ. And so we see the whole picture kind of come together. But Eve was deceived. Adam is the one who brought sin into the world. So Adam was responsible. How do we fully understand that? We don't have to. It just tells us this. Okay. So Adam is the one who's responsible. Adam is the one who bears the weight, bears the burden of the authority structure and the responsibility. And Adam was uh, the one that fell into transgression. Eve was deceived. And so Adam bears the responsibility, Adam is the leadership in the church, and Adam is the leadership in the home. It's not a superiority thing, it's just a responsibility thing. Verse 15, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Now this is one that's extremely difficult to understand. Now, does that mean women are saved by bearing children? Has there ever been a woman that didn't bear a child that wound up in heaven? Yes, right? So again, what's the context? What's the interpreter of Scripture? Scripture, right? So we're not, women are not saved by bearing children, saved from, you know, eternally. So what does it mean? Most commentators would say it, it's a reference to the childbearing that Mary birthed Jesus. Because when we're talking about salvation... There's no other way that we're saved except through Jesus Christ, right? So perhaps it's a reference to uh, the birth of Jesus, and the women had, woman had tremendous privilege in giving birth to Jesus. Women today, it's, an, it's timely that we talk about the sanctity of human life day, right? Women have the amazing capacity to birth a child. Think about that, ladies. You have the capacity to birth a child. Now, is that for everybody? Not necessarily. But he's just talking about it in the context here of men and women. And through the bearing of Jesus, we're saved. If we continue in faith, love, holiness with self-control. And so Jesus came into the world. We walk accordingly. We submit to him. We surrender to him. And we rejoice in him. So, Paul's instructing Timothy how to do church. There's lots of ways to do church, right? 
We see lots of ways to do church. There are lots of ways that we could sort of get off, of tr- get off track a little bit, right? Frankly, we can get off track by being too politically uh, focused. We need to be responsible citizens, but God is God, right? And if God was God when Nero was on the throne, God can be God no matter who's, on the, who's in the White House, right? We know that uh, God desires all people to be saved. Simple as that. God desires all people to be saved. We know that there's one God and one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. And we know that God orders authority structures. We know that God has instructed men to lead the church. That means men need to own it. That, mean, that means men need to walk in responsibility. It doesn't mean men get to be the boss. It means men need to own the responsibility. There's a big difference. And so as we do that, that's part of a healthy church that we're privileged to be a part of. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you set these things in order. We thank you that you give us instruction that honestly goes beyond what we would probably come up with on our own. Way beyond what we would probably come up with on our own. Lord, we think we have lots of good ideas, but yours are better. Help us, Lord, to not be offended because of you. Help us, rather, to submit to you. Help us to submit to your word. Help us to recognize who you are. Help us to never compromise in our appreciation of your goodness and your love and your grace and your mercy. And help us to walk in that, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week, man.